Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to a very special episode of Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mogul, here with my legendary co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a fantasy fangirl or person of epic proportions. Very nice. Very cool. Yeah, just depends on the day. You know? Yeah, totally. Your proportions change epically? Sure. <laughs> epically tiny, epically gargantuan, just epic, right? Yeah, I'd go with the uh, ant person. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they do need a gender neutral ant person. <laughs> yeah, they do. In the superhero team. It's about time. Yeah, it is. It is. But me? Myself? I'm Jack Olander, a spirit of the creative spark from the dream worlds. Ooh. That makes sense. Yes. I can see it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of creativity in this episode. It's what drew me here today. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Well, guys, I have gathered you here today for a very special purpose, and that is to commemorate our second year anniversary of doing this show which is called swords and satire yeah we've done it we've made it if we can make it this far gosh darn it we can make it all the way to the end of the race (laughs) i don't know what that means but i'm going with it contemplate that on the tree of woe (laughs) thank you so last year for our one year anniversary We did something that we called the Fantasy Avengers, which is an epic team-up of characters from our first year of movies, or from our previous year of movies, into our own original film that brings together all the multiverses of the fantasy movies that we watch and talk about. Yeah, it was cool. It was super cool. It was super fun. You loved it, obviously. That's why you're here now. Or maybe you're a new listener. I don't know. I don't know how these things work. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) But it was so much fun that we decided to do it again. Now, here's the thing. We have been putting a lot of our more original content episodes on our Patreon for a while now. Like where we do these episodes we call Rewriting History, which is when we take a movie that we've talked about from that month and come up with a sequel or a reboot or a spinoff. And this is kind of in the spirit of that. It's basically our version of a movie pitch, but we try to improve upon the movies that we've watched for our show. <laughs> or just come up with sequels and stuff. I mean, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So normally an episode like this would be for our patrons only, but we have decided that since this is our anniversary episode, we are going to release this to everybody But you can thank the patrons of Swords and Satire for supporting this episode. Yeah. And if you like us, you find out about us, you listen to this, or you're already a fan, you could support us too on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash swords and satire, and you look at the different tiers we offer and make a pledge to become a supporter of the show, you get episodes like this, our rewriting history episodes, There are outtakes episodes at different tiers, and you can vote on the movies that we watch each month. 
So you can contribute to next year's Fantasy Avengers in so many ways if you support us on Patreon. Yeah, that's actually true. Very cool. Thanks, listeners. But enough self-promotion. Why don't we get into this, talk a little bit about what the Fantasy Avengers are, why we do this, and then get into our voting, I guess. It's not really voting this year because we're doing things a little bit differently. We'll talk about it. So what are the Fantasy Avengers? We're all familiar with the Avengers films, right? It's when they brought together all the awesome comic book movie characters and put them into one film to create a single team made up of the best characters. A united front against the conquerors of the outer space. That's right. Damn outer space. So that's what we did last year with our Fantasy Avengers. We came up with an awesome movie pitch based on a team-up of four of the most heroic characters from our previous year's movies. And gosh darn it, that's what we're going to do again right here today. Yep. So let me explain this a little bit. We (laughs) mashed up the Avengers concept with the character archetypes from Conan the Barbarian. And we cast a team of heroes based on fitting different archetypes that might be D&D adventuring parties or the Avengers from the movies, whatever. The reason they're based on characters from the Conan movies is because if you haven't listened to this episode, our episode on Conan the Barbarian yet, that was the first episode we ever released for our show two years ago. And it's kind of our er example for classic fantasy swords and sorcery movies. Exactly. So we've got four categories of hero. They're the body. This is Conan, right? The spirit. Subotai from Conan the Barbarian. The heart. That would be Valeria. Yeah. And the mind or Akiro from, again, the first Conan movie. We also added a uniter who's more of the Nick Fury (laughs) character. (laughs) Yep. So our metaphor gets a little mixed, but whatever. And then we've got the hench person in Conan the Barbarian. This was Thorgrim and Rexor. And then the villain, Thulsa Doom in Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to say Conan the Barbarian a bunch of times this episode. But I'm going to try to keep it to a minimum. And just to throw out there, imagine a trailer where they introduce each character and they say the uniter, Nick Fury, just turns, what the hell? (laughs) Just cuts away from him instantly. I just think it fits. (laughs) He could be there. Sure. (laughs) But so what we've done this year is instead of each of us pitching a character for one of the categories, we have randomly assigned each of us two of those categories that we've already decided are going to make up our members of the Fantasy Avengers. So I've picked a character who's going to be the body for our adventuring party and a character who's going to be the villain's henchman in our pitch. I've chosen the character who's going to be the mind in our Avengers group and I got to pick the villain as well. Yeah, Chelsea really gamed the uh, random algorithm we used to select who was picking what and got the best one. I was pretty excited. 
pretty, pretty hype. However, I think it's pretty hype that I got the opportunity to choose the spirit and the heart for the group. I feel like we all got ones that are pretty fitting for us, personally. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Enough talking. Let's get the talking. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, we've each picked our characters that we're going to put into our Fantasy Avengers movie pitch here. I'm going to introduce each character archetype, and then we're each going to share two of our runner-ups from the movies we picked that could have been our body and spirit and heart and mind and all these different characters. And then we're each going to share the character that we have selected to represent that role in our movie. And then as a group, we're going to decide who our uniter should be. Sounds good. So you'll get to hear that live, and by live, I mean recorded right here. For your listening pleasure. But first, why don't but we... But no other kind of pleasure. <laughs> I mean, take whatever pleasure you want. <laughs> I'm not going to judge. Let's go ahead and talk about it. The first fantasy archetype we are going to introduce is the body. Again, this is the Conan character. This is... The skilled combatant and the in unstoppable physical force of the group. In D&D terms, this is your fighter, barbarian, paladin, or monk. Mm-hmm. And guys... This was one that you got to choose, Jamie. This, this, that's right. This is one I got to pick. And I'm going to tell you two that I thought could have fit the role. And then I'm going to tell you who I did pick. Okay. For this year's Fantasy Avengers. Now... The first character I thought of right away as I was looking through the list of movies that we watched in the last year, it was such an obvious pick. In our first Fantasy Avengers, we picked Hercules from The Legend of Hercules 3D. My first pick for this year was Hercules the Rock from the film Hercules starring The Rock. That's great. I mean, it was so obvious. Yeah. He's big. He's strong. He's The Rock. We want him in a movie. He's a serious contender. And it kind of fit this multiverse model where our previous Avengers team up had a Hercules. This was another Hercules from another multiverse. Yeah. I thought that would have been pretty cool. But alas, I didn't pick The Rock. My second choice was Corey, the Manticore from Onward, who huh? was a retired adventurer. Oh my god, this who, is great. Who had a who had an elaborate adventuring backstory before she opened a Bennigan's like restaurant. <laughs> but then at the end of Onward, she goes back into the adventuring life. So I was yeah. like, oh man, she would also be an awesome character. And we could do like kind of a space jam two thing with animated and uh Ooh. real world characters brought together. I thought it'd be super fun. But you didn't go with her. But I didn't go with her. Who I did go with for year two Fantasy Avengers. The body. The body. The, one of the greatest warriors we've seen in <laughs> any of the movies we've talked about. One of the most powerful singular forces. An unstoppable warrior who fought literally unbelievable odds to reach not only the end of her story, but 
to land this role in the Fantasy Avengers is Barb from I Kill Giants. Oh, shit! I thought you might choose her! Would you believe she was a contender on two of my choices as well? You know what? I absolutely believe that. She's so powerful. (laughs) So good. She was one of your favorite characters from the whole year. She was. I love Barb. She was awesome. So what do we got? Why are we bringing this character into the Fantasy Avengers? Dude, her spirit animal is the the hair, the rabbit. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> that was pretty great. So Barb is a... Apex predator. <laughs> <laughs> yes, an apex predator. Absolutely. She is a defender. She is concerned about a threat to humanity that nobody else acknowledges. People treat her like she doesn't know what she's talking about. She knows that these elemental forces are out there threatening humanity. Yeah. Now, you might be saying to yourself, if you remember this film, but wasn't Barb's fight just a symbolic representation of dealing with her mother's battle with cancer? No. She was also <laughs> fighting giants. Okay. <laughs> with her epic warhammer, Kovaleski. That's right. So here's the thing. <laughs> Some viewers may be familiar with the film American Psycho 2. The second one. The second one, which takes all of the kind of implied, like maybe Patrick Bateman isn't really a murderer, and this was all in his head, and says, no, actually, Mila Kunis kills Patrick Bateman, who is legitimately a serial killer at the beginning of the movie. So I'm kind of taking that route with this character. We're going, no, all the symbolism, like, yeah, Barb was still dealing with her mother's battle with cancer, Mm -hmm. but also she was fighting giants. All right. Because, God damn it, it's too much fun. And she said you have to have experienced a loss or a trauma to be able to see them. Right. So, we've got this great defender, an unstoppable warrior. Barb is the body for the Fantasy Avengers episode two, or year two. I think she's a solid pick, and she makes a lot of sense to be the meat shield, but also the caretaker of humanity. Exactly. And a strong character to build a party around. Yeah. I mean, how many people at her age can slay living cataclysms? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. Now, see, this is a great character to to build up to as like kind of a central figurehead of the party because what Barb was really lacking in her movie was a team that believed in her. If she had had that, her whole struggle might have been much easier for her. Yeah. So we've got, you know... It's been about four years since I Kill Giants came out. We can have the character a little bit older, but she's been dealing with these threats and fighting off the things that are threatening her community Mm -hmm. for five years since the previous movie. And that's when she will enter into our Fantasy Avengers lineup. Okay. But so that's that's my case. I think uh, I can't say much more besides what we're going to talk about when we get into our actual pitch. So why don't we move on to our next archetype? Sounds good to me. The second character that we're going to be casting is the spirit, the Subotai of the group. 
This is an inventive factotum who's never caught unaware. They are clever and resourceful. Maybe a jack-of-all-trades. This is a character who is endlessly adaptable. In a D&D or RPG group, this is your ranger or your rogue or your bard. Nice. And this was one that Jack picked, right? Very true indeed. And there were a few interesting characters I looked at for this role. I'm going to start with the most blasphemous choice. (laughs) You usually do. The most unholy person that fits this archetype. Now, what is the spirit? But someone who is capable of a variety of very, very useful things, very surprising <laughs> talents. That's okay. the spirit, right? Yeah. Talented in a variety of fields. True. Okay. Who has limitless creative potential. Very, very skilled ranged martial prowess. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. They are engineers. They are diplomats. All right. Buddy the Elf from the movie Elf. Oh my God, that is unholy. fuck. (laughs) I didn't pick this one. (laughs) I understand. But we did watch and discuss Elf, so he's fair game. He also has this kind of strange, like, luck ability where he's lucky all the time. Good point. He can completely display an entire, like, floor of a mall overnight. These complex creations. Adaptable. He can hurl like 10 snowballs a second, right? Okay. Machine gun arm. He fixes Santa's engine on his sleigh, right? Yeah. He unites crowds. You've got me convinced. Great pick for the spirit. He can. <laughs> no, no. No, that's not the pick. Maybe I'm going too far into it. Anyway, he's capable of many things via his Christmas magic. Okay. But it's not always Christmas. Fair. That's true. And I think that was quite limiting. The other runner-up for this role was Geralt of Rivia from the Witcher series. Someone who is a body contender, potentially. Great warrior. But doesn't always take the martial approach. Well, often takes the martial approach to things. Often forced to, tries to solve things without violence if he can. It's true. Does not declare every horrifying thing a monster. Tries to take a lot of other approaches to a lot of problems. Seemed like the creative problem-solving type. Again, not my choice for the spirit. Good choice, though. Yeah. Ultimately, the person I thought was the most adaptable and capable of overcoming very tense situations... Was Alan Parrish from 1995's Jumanji. Wow. As a little boy, he got sucked into a (laughs) world of pure hatred for life. (laughs) For human life. Human life. And he is a human. It's it's a killer be killed (laughs) world where nature is blown up to its most brutal. Right? Yeah. So he was in Australia. Yes. <laughs> and he survived. No, no, not quite as terrifying as Australia. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. it's true. It's true. This is fantasy, not horror. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he survived childhood into adulthood yeah. in this devastating fantasy jungle full of things out to kill him. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. Pulled back into the real world. He manages to keep the people around him safe, go on a healing journey for himself, save the town, and complete a cursed board game. He's just someone who sees 
danger in front of him and adapts and helps the people around him. You're as so well. right. He survived in that hellscape jungle for 26 years. Yeah. And he manages to help other people while saving the day. <laughs> and well, he still has a protective heart. He wants to help the kids in the movie. Definitely. He's a very creative. He's resourceful. He's adaptable. And he's a team player. Yeah. I love it. Let me ask you a question. Are we going to follow suit with how Disney recast Robin Williams in the Aladdin series and get Will Smith to play Alan in our movie? <laughs> that would be incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's only the natural progression. Okay. Okay. Well, great pick. Yeah. I think that is, well, I did not see that coming and I love it. He's sheer adaptation. <laughs> He's a man of the wild. <laughs> I think he and Barb are going to have a really good rapport with I each other. I know. I think that's going to be really interesting. Alan is good with kids. They both have dealt with supernatural threats. True. They're both from ostensibly a non-fantastical world where they find out that there is a fantastical element underlying their reality. Yeah. Very cool. And I think that Alan would believe Barb. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. So, good pick. Thank you, thank you. All right. Our next character that we need to draft is the mind. In Conan the Barbarian, this is Akiro. We're talking about a genius intellect that uses their mind as their greatest weapon. They're esoterically intelligent and just... A brilliant sage. In a D&D group, this is your wizard, sorcerer, artificer, or alchemist, if you're into those kinds of things. Yeah. And I believe Chelsea has got our picks ready to go. That's right. Here we go. I'm excited. So, one of my runner-ups is Amphiarius from Hercules 2014 with The Rock, played by Ian McShane. God, I love it. Yes! Okay, I gotta tell you, all of my top three were very hard to choose from. I can tell from this one, if this is your third runner-up, the next two are going to be out of this world. Because <laughs> <laughs> Amphiarius rules, and it would mean getting Ian McShane in our movie. Yeah, I mean, he's great, and Amphiarius gets messages from the gods. He's an oracle. He's also... A brilliant strategist. He's all about working smarter, not harder. Oh, love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a lazy dude. but he's <laughs> A lazy also- badass. Right, exactly. Um, and he's wise, and he gives counsel to his compatriots. And they trust him. So I think uh, he's a great uh, contender for the mind. The next one, and this was very difficult... But the second runner-up is Beatrice from Warrior Nun. Ooh, great pick. Just awesome. I think that's a, a, I'd say a beloved Swords and Satire character. Yes. Now, she could have been a runner-up for the body because she is an assassin. True. But so are all the sister nuns. The primary characteristic she is known for is her intellect. She can build different gadgets, construct bombs. She understands 
strategy and how to infiltrate different strongholds, you know? So, um, I think that she's a strong contender. Also uh, another uh, character I'd love to throw into something because she's just great. Yeah. She gives a lot of counsel to Ava. She's kind of the backbone there. And, you know, gives her a lot of, lot of advice and is very knowledgeable about the lore of their order. Absolutely. So that's why I thought of her. Definitely. The one that beat the other two... You gotta hear me out, because it might seem a little strange that I picked them over the other two, okay? <laughs> Is it Hercules from the movie Hercules? No. <laughs> oh, darn. Those aren't muscles. That's the brain expanding to the rest of the body. <laughs> What's your biceps, if not just your strongest brain muscle? <laughs> <laughs> Are you an octopus? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Maybe. I should be so lucky. Why are you asking? <laughs> My choice for the mind is Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Genius. So cool. She's a woman who can read. So first of all. <laughs> Superpower attained. Yeah. Fantasy levels are reaching their height. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, she kind of soaks up any kind of subject. She's interested in... In a multitude of subjects, she's able to comprehend anything that she reads and feel connected to it on an emotional level, too. And she's an inventor like her father. She just oh, doesn't yeah. get a lot of time to shine in the movies that she's in, usually. But she's always portrayed as somebody who knows how to repair her father's gadgets. Like, she... And she can build them on her own. Yeah. She... Is a, a master inventor too. So she just doesn't get enough t time to shine uh, because they always focus on the romantic angle in the movies that she's in. Right. So get her out of that, and we've got a some great big new reason plots. why I chose her over Beatrice because that was very difficult was because I want to give her that chance to really shine and show off her intelligence. Plus, it's going to be great to work with Emma Watson. Right. Plus, she's a strong moral character as well. Totally. She's very heroic in her own right. And yeah. she's egalitarian. She wants to teach other people how to read and write. She doesn't believe in kowtowing to the, their royal overlord. She doesn't acknowledge that. Yeah, fight the power. She doesn't care how many eggs you eat. <laughs> She'll oppose you. <laughs> Two dozen eggs doesn't even matter. Four yeah. dozen eggs doesn't even care. Yeah, Belle. There we go. Very awesome. Man, I didn't see that one coming, and I love it. Nice. Me too. You guys ready to move on to our next and final core member of the Fantasy Avengers? You know it. All right. The final archetype for our Fantasy Avengers is the heart. In Conan, this is Valeria. It's an inspiring leader who everyone rallies around. They're tactically minded. They're endlessly encouraging. They bring the team together in the moment of battle. In D&D, &D, this is your cleric or your druid, your leader. And I believe Jack has got our nominations for this archetype. Most assuredly, I do. As I mentioned, well, it's funny, actually two of the characters overlap with your body picks. 
Uh, the first one was Hercules the Rock. <laughs> Just on the off chance he wasn't the body. I mean, really good choice. He was more of a leader while also being incredibly strong. In addition to being incredibly strong, we see that the way he handled most of the legendary aspects of his life were by working with a group, being like a symbol yes. bigger than himself for people to rally behind. Yeah. Love he, it. Instead of one man fighting an army, he was one man teaching an army, right? He was the one that the troops gathered around to stand up for their kingdom. Before they were just a bunch of farmers, he made an army out of them. Yes. Yeah. Right? He has loyal followers that will follow him against the army that they raise. Right. <laughs> That's inspiration. Yeah. It's not his muscles that people follow. It's his heart. The heart muscle. Which I think that's him... a good case you made there. Yeah. He's a strong contender, not the one I went with. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you must have some great second and first picks. The other one was Barbara from I Kill Giants. Okay. Very nice. Okay. Very nice. I'm sorry to have stolen your thunder. No. Well, I didn't pick either of those okay. characters. You figured they would be in the body? I didn't actually. Well, I didn't think Barbara would be in the body, but I should have foolishly. She kills Titans, for God's exactly. sake. Exactly. Thank you. But I thought people would have rallied around her because of her emotional strength that she gets by the end of the film. Agreed. Oh, She's been yeah. through some of the hardest things humans after endure and have come out on top. Yeah, we're talking about battling giants here. Yeah, she steeled her soul. And losing a loved one. Right, all of it. She steeled her soul. She's learned how to reconnect with humanity. She has faced horrifying monsters and come out stronger and better for doing so. So this seemed like someone who would be able to acknowledge people's difficulties and be able to help pull them up to the occasion. Just awesome. So she had a strong contender for being the heart. Easily could have done it. But the one I did go for is sort of, it's a passion pick. Not gonna lie. Okay. That's okay. You have, uh, you have the reins on this one. It's Sir Gowan from the Green Knight. Oh Whoa! my god. I'll tell you why I think he does fit the heart position. Okay. I am, I am blown away. The entire movie was an argument for why he is capable of it. Okay. I think. It's the origin story. Right. So the whole film is us seeing what he longs for, right? It's showing his battle with his own fears and his yes. own insecurities. A lot of what we see from him is... His struggle to do good when he doesn't know what he actually wants. He doesn't know how to be himself. And he has to go on this big journey that he doesn't even understand what he's gotten himself into. Or what the meaning of it really is. Or what the meaning is. And there are the things that part of him knows he should want right in front of him that he can't bring himself to accept. Like the love of his girlfriend... His family, his place among his peers, he sees them as greater than himself. Right. Yeah. Throughout the film, his virtues are tested. He fails a lot. Yeah. He fails a lot. But he keeps going. He keeps going because he is the most wild-hearted of the knights. That's even what the Green Knight calls him. He is the most wild-hearted, and that's why he does it. Very nice. 
People love him. That's the other part of why I think he's a good heart. In spite of his many flaws, people always want to be around him and want to hear what he has to say, even though he's not eloquent. He has a natural charisma to him, and the lack of eloquence comes from his insecurity. And so he changes his mindset. He makes himself vulnerable. He accepts the things he can't change. He stands for his ideals. And he's rewarded for it at the end and acknowledged. Having a character with a nearly supernatural ability to see the outcome of different choices. I mean, that's a great leader. Yeah. He has really good insights. Yeah. And he has that good heart. I think post-movie Gowan is ready for a position like this. I see it. Yeah. He's sculpted away the rough edges so to speak. And they're still there. It's not something you get rid of all at once, but he's accepted that he is going to take this path. And I think he's ready and at a point where he can be there for others and start to standing up to his ideals and rallying people like that. Wow, this is a great choice for the heart. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Ever since The Green Knight came out hundreds of years ago, <laughs> it stood for... It, it stood as a sign that you don't have to be perfect. And if that's what Gowan represents, it's perseverance in the face of imperfection. And that's a great heart. That's a good leadership yeah. quality. Mm -hmm. I like it. All right, guys. We have got an awesome team here. We have got Barb from I Kill Giants. Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Alan from Jumanji. And Sir Gowan from The Green Knight. This is a team up of epic proportions, if I've yeah. ever heard of one. But that's team good. Now we got to talk about team evil. Team bad. <laughs> Team so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Team just downright naughty. <laughs> Again, you can only derive one kind of pleasure out of this show. No, any amount that you want and any kind. Oh, okay. <laughs> just downright filthy monsters. <laughs> oh, she is filthy. <laughs> All right. First off, for Team Evil, we've got the hench person. This is one of those archetypes that kind of speaks for itself. But in Conan the Barbarian, there were two, Thorgrim and Rexor. This is the right-hand person of the villain. They're a dastardly helper with a penchant for destruction, abduction, and mischief. They might be biding their time until they get to be the big bad, but for the time being, they're willing to serve. And Jamie, you got to pick this one. I did. And man, I had uh, some really interesting picks and some great classic archetype hench people to work with. So I'm going to tell you who didn't make it. Okay. My number three choice is Wormtongue. Oh, from shit. The Two Towers. I mean, we're talking a classic archetypal hench person. Mm -hmm. Classic. He's 
Slimy. Slimy. <laughs> he's weaselly. You know he's evil the second he comes on screen. Like, yeah. it just trips off. He's helping Saruman control the King of Rohan. He's a weasel, but he's kind of somebody that everyone has to put up with because he's in a position of authority. He's got his own machinations that he's dealing with. He's just such a classic archetype for a great hench person. I can see why he's one of your runners up. Yeah, but I didn't want to go with a character from the Lord of the Rings because that's just so fraught with baggage from those stories being so epic and kind of complete in their films. But Wormtongue, I still feel like was a good choice. But alas, didn't pick him. My second choice was the Gamork. Whoa! From the never-ending story. The scary fucking wolf who's like the harbinger of the end times. Who is just reveling in the destruction that the nothing is going to bring. He's lending his power and energy to fuel the nothing. To bring destruction to their world. Exactly. Perfect, like, right hand of of a... big dastardly villain is this character who is willing to literally give everything they have to fuel the destruction for destruction's sake for anger's sake and to spread fear to fuel the nothing and speaking of fear that was a terrifying character yeah like haunted dreams for generations will continue to haunt the nightmares of children who see this movie (laughs) yeah he scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Exactly. Gamork is an awesome, awesome villain assistant. <laughs> right? Not not the big bad, but real close. Yeah. As long as I can remember, I've loved that guy. <laughs> he was just he had a <laughs> so cool. He had a style about him, you know? Totally. But I didn't go with Gamork. Wow. Who I did go with. no (laughs) I'm very pleased with this choice (laughs) because my hench person is Hunter from Just Visiting the shithead fiance who gets sent back in time and literally enslaved in a royal French castle Wow, or English castle I guess so here's the thing Hunter a classic, just terrible villain, right? He's conniving. He's plotting against the main characters. He's spreading lies. But at the end of the movie, he gets his comeuppance. He literally gets sent back in time as of the conceit of the movie. And I started thinking, who's going to be so susceptible to wanting revenge and would go in with any villain's plot who showed up And found him and said, oh, I'm going to give you the chance to get revenge on the world for what's happened to you. Oh, that's a good point. This is a character with stakes who has a reason to be angry. And that's why I thought Hunter would be a great hench person. Not powerful. He's not strong. But if he's given the opportunity from a really great villain, he is going to do anything he can to make the world a worse place. Yep. And he's not actually an idiot. No, he's not. He came up with a pretty darn good scheme. If there wasn't Deus Ex Knight from the past, (laughs) it would not have been foiled. Right. Yeah. But he's a shithead. Oh, yeah. No, he's a bastard. That's the important thing. He was plotting to 
steal his fiance's inheritance and run off with his secretary. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't going to last either. You know, clearly this is somebody who just uses people, who just like tosses others to the wayside if it means they can get a little bit more power. I think that if the right villain offered him the chance for revenge and a little bit of power of his own, he would jump at the opportunity. Exactly. Capable of being villainous in his own right, but someone who could use a little help in their current circumstance. Exactly. And yeah, a reason for revenge. He was basically enslaved at the end of the movie. Yeah. So, I mean, this is going to be maybe a character who is sympathetic in some regards, even though he's terrible. Yeah. Because he's been put in really unenviable circumstances from his own film. More dastardly characters have been made sympathetic before. Truth. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so that's my pick. That's Hunter good. from Just Visiting. That's a good one. A truly despicable hench person. Uh, Very awesome. Yeah, unexpected, but it makes sense. But that was just the evil icing on what is going to be a <laughs> horrible yet delicious evil cake, I'm sure. Because now it's time to cast our villain. <laughs> So Chelsea has selected our villain. I've had the privilege. That's right. <laughs> Literally a role that speaks for itself. But we're talking about Thulsa Doom here. We're talking the big bad. This is the character whose cruel machinations drive the heroes to greatness. Oh, I can't tell you how excited I was to be the one to pick this. It's so I know good. you were. And I ended up. With the really unlikely choice that I doubt anybody would be predicting ever. <laughs> okay, I'm very And I'm excited. going to need you guys to just kind of follow along with me here. Now, are you going to give us yeah, your... Yeah, your, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have some runners up, so I, I'm going to lead into it. We have Merlin from Merlin the Return. As oh, my God. One of our possible villains. <laughs> I can already see that you are setting up for some amazing choices here. Yeah. That is wild and I think would be great with Sir Gowan from the Green Knight. So hear me out. He the reason he the reason he made this list was the movie tried to portray him as somebody more like the mind, right? Sure, that was the idea. But he's a fucking evil son of a bitch. He Walk us through it. He doomed all of these people to the underworld along with Mordred. We don't know if the henchmen were following him out of fear or like that was the only work they could get or something. Didn't fucking matter. Straight to hell. Also, he doomed all of the women from the harem who were probably there out of no choice of their own. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up that he sent Mordred a harem in his time prison. Also, he doomed Sir Lancelot and Guinevere to the underworld 
to kind of be this ineffectual guerrilla group to try to stop Mordred from making his way out. They did nothing the entire thousand years they were down there. This is effectively a realm where all the water is sewer water and the air is made out of farts. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just as, just so you can visualize this. Now with all this evil that you just described, you're telling me that this is not our villain? Exactly. And he <laughs> ran around the town in his underwear. <laughs> Truly evil. So he's a streaker. Um. The underwear were just a, a device for the audience. Like, there were no underwear back in medieval times. He was wearing tidy fucking whiteies. But I'm saying that's just like a, a, a rating thing. You know that the actual character was freeballing. Yeah. Which Streaking. is even worse. Streaking. A crime that pushes heroes to greatness. All right. The next one is a little bit more obvious, okay? I had to have one of those in there. Sure. An actual villain. Okay. I mean, I, you just made the case that Merlin was also an actual villain. Yes, in my opinion. But the movie treated this character as such as well. Okay. Maxwell Lord from Wonder Woman 1984. Okay, good Ooh. choice. Interesting choice. He has one. redeemable qualities to him, though, and we did redeem him more in our rewriting history that's on our Patreon. The movie um, also tried to redeem him. Yes. And didn't do a very good job of it. I feel like we did a better job, if I must say so myself. I agree. Very charming character. I don't remember what we did, but I just assume that we did a good job. Yeah. And I mean, Pedro Pascal is very charming. So Absolutely. Underused in that movie. Yeah, but I think Maxwell Lord, he wants to do good so hard that he became bad. <laughs> and I think that's <laughs> sure. a really interesting villain Agreed. He went super dark and the power corrupted him so quickly because of his desperate need to do good by himself and his son. And he thought he was doing the right thing and trying to get more power to do the right thing for himself and provide the life that he wanted to give to his son. And he just went evil so hard. And I think that's a really interesting path for a character and... The fact that he is redeemable would create some interesting story arcs. But I did not go with him. Okay. I am literally with bated breath awaiting now, your selection. This might seem like a curveball, but you've got to hear me out. I'm willing to listen. <laughs> you sold me so far. I know you don't want her to say it, but you <laughs> need to listen. Yeah. My pick for the villain <laughs> for our Fantasy Avengers for year two is Maggie Fulchart from the Inkheart movie. Oh my gee. Is it because of her name? Is it because it's Maggie <laughs> instead of Maggie? That's part of it. No. Um <laughs> Holy shit. We made her a protagonist. I know. We even and we're had, undoing it. We had her in another one of our rewriting history episodes as a uh, protagonist that's like an anti-hero, like kind of red herring villain. In my version, she's the villain. Listen to me here. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Exactly. You understand where I'm going with this. I do. She displayed in the end of Inkheart the ability to just... Speak 
her will and have it be done. That never ends well. She was the most powerful silver tongue out there. Most silver tongues, if you, the listeners remember from the Inkheart world of the movie and the books, the silver tongues have to read something from a book and something will be exchanged from our world into the book and something will come out of the book into our world. They have this kind of bardic magical ability. Maggie, or <laughs> Maggie, Maggie, the unholy name of Maggie. It fits. All of our Maggie listeners are just seething right now. Just screaming. <laughs> she doesn't need any of that shit. She initially is reading from uh, Finoglio's words to try to write the villains out of our world back into the Inkheart world. Then she starts writing onto her arm her own words in Finoglio's voice. Uh, you know, his, like, right. authorial voice. Yeah, yeah. To keep going and write the shadow back into the world. This unstoppable force of evil. She's going up against this unknowable force, the shadow. She just starts speaking it back into the Inkheart world. She doesn't even have to read it off of her arm anymore. She just fully starts speaking what she wants to see happen, and the world has to obey. <laughs> Jesus. This kind of absolute power, she is unto a god, and that is going to corrupt her so fucking fast. <laughs> it is not even funny. It is. What if I just speak myself a billion dollars? Mm. She's sort of Maxwell Lord. I was thinking that. Times a thousand. Yeah. yeah. She doesn't need anyone else to make a wish. No. Nope. She is the wish master. As long as she says it with conviction, it happens. That's right. Wow. I don't know if there could be a better absolute villain for our lineup. I, I I was pretty proud of myself for thinking of this one. Yeah, pretty awesome. But you know what? With an absolute villain, we need somebody to bring the team together in our story to get the Fantasy Avengers rolling into their heroic journey. So I think it's time for us to select our uniter. This is... <laughs> The, I guess now it's slightly anachronistic, Nick Fury of our group. Yeah. Although, I mean, Nick Fury can bring together any team. Mm hmm Even in fantasy worlds. Even in Conan, he could have been there. Last year, we picked Balthazar from the Sorcerer's Apprentice. That's right. This is the character who sees that there is a problem that the villain is creating and brings together a team of heroes to fight against that threat. And... With this kind of villain, we might want it to be somebody who could understand that things are changing in the world and recognize, be one of the people that can see that things are changing and doesn't remember it incorrectly. Because Maggie, Maggie <laughs> can change the fabric of reality. I'm beginning to wonder if we all picked the same person. Me too. I'm like, that accurately describes who I chose. All right. So Chelsea, you've, you've just launched into it. Let's hear your choice. 
My fucking choice for the Uniter is Giselle, bitches from Enchanted. Oh, Whoa. not my pick. Whoa. Wow. That's not my pick, but that's so pog. She has a supernatural ability to sing people into being her allies. <laughs> You're not wrong. She can see into the heart of people. She has this uncanny ability of insight. And unity. And she exists in the same universe as Belle. And she believes believes in friendship and people working together. She believes in the good of humanity. She wants to save and help people. All right. Whoa. She would be the perfect person to unite the team. Strong choice. It's a sucker punch of logic. (laughs) I was not prepared for that. I wasn't either. That was a bombshell of totally convincing flawless argument. (laughs) She sings in the park. Everybody joins in. They have no choice. And her boyfriend is just like, how does everyone know the song? I mean, so he's flabbergasted by her power a lot of times in movies like people see the magical powers of the people around them and it's like yeah whatever like he acknowledges this is crazy powerful and he is a skeptic he resists her power for most of the song but in the end it worms its way into his brain and he starts singing too. Giselle could also be an amazing villain. That's true. <laughs> Maybe that's why there are, this is a good Ooh. matchup though, because Giselle sees that she too could have gone down this dark road that Maggie's been okay. down. Which was our rewriting history plot, you may recall. Exactly. But she reaches into people and invites the Disney out of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that sounds like a good thing. (laughs) Well, what Disney is supposed to represent, right? That idea of friendship, unity, the simple joys of singing and dancing and being with people you like. Okay, sure. Uh, Just violent, optimistic uh, (laughs) extroversion. (laughs) I love that violent optimism. All right. Well, this was a... Unexpected, but very strong choice. Jack, what do you got for your um, nominee for our Uniter? Well, now it, well, you know, it's hard to say when I'm very convinced, but I will say it nonetheless. Someone who can see things from the big picture. Okay. Who can see past facades. Okay. Like you're saying. Yeah. Someone who stands with a moral core and is actively working to unite people with sketchy histories for a greater purpose. Huh. Maharet from Queen of the Damned. Oh, oh my god. Whoa. We definitely did not all pick the same character, that's for sure. No. I did not expect this one, but you're so right. This is an ancient vampiress from Egypt? <laughs> Even though she's white. It's a white person. Uh, but she could have been someone of Roman descent. That's true. We'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. That's actually true. After Alexander the Great took over Egypt, there were a lot of Greeks down there. Yeah. If you consider Macedonians Greeks, am I right? <laughs> am I right? Ah, uh, digging that historical knife in. <laughs> yeah. What, you drink wine without watering it down? Barbarian. <laughs> uh, anyway, Maharet, right? 
thousands of years old. Mm -hmm. She's been around a long time, seen the progression of humanity and vampires. (laughs) That is actually important. No, that's good. She has brought together a chosen family of vampires and adopted humans throughout every age of history. Well, she's actually following her own lineage because she did have a daughter before she was turned into a vampire. Yeah, exactly. So she's following humans, taking care of them, guiding vampires who don't want to just slaughter everything in sight. She sees past the monster into the person, right? And she's opposing a villain who's trying to destroy the world. It's true. And she creates this clan. She pulls people into it, people with similar visions, people who can work together. I think she's a strong contender, too. Yeah. Great pick. And she's actually filling the role that we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, she's already got experience with this. It's true. I don't know if she can sing, though. (laughs) It's not confirmed. She is a witch. I mean, the vampire Lestat can sing. She has magical powers and can cast spells. They just didn't show it in the movie, but it is in the book. Yeah, that's great. So that's something she's capable of, and she's fought world-ending threats before. That's true. Well, you know, the character that I picked to nominate has also dealt with world-ending threats, has watched their kingdom crumble, has brought together the greatest forces, fighters, and heroes, and adventurers from across the universe to come together to unite for a cause. Yeah. To deal with a literal multiverse ending cataclysm. Ooh. Okay. My choice is the childlike empress, Moonchild, from the Neverending Story. Holy shit. The thought did cross my mind for Moonchild at one point. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So, obviously, no longer childlike. Now, living with this name... Moonchild, granted by Bastion, the human child who was able to give power to the realm of Fantasia to to defend it against the threat of nothingness and destruction that was coming. Hmm. Moonchild has seen what happens when sadness and despair take hold in people's hearts, has watched the entire universe collapse and begin to fill with void. She's kind of like the muse. She's the inspiration for people's imagination. She and Fantasia are linked. Right. So she seemed like a really good kind of central catalyst for bringing together a new band of adventurers, a new band of heroes. She can see across multiverses. She represents creativity. And therefore can see everyone's drives, right? (laughs) So here's the case I'm going to make. Not even necessarily saying that she is still my favorite pick. Although I think this is a strong case. With Maggie as our villain and the never-ending story existing as a book. In the world of the film it comes from. I feel like there's a very good connection between Maggie as the villain and Moonchild as the uniter who has real stakes in this narrative. That is such an amazing case that you just made there. But I have to throw a monkey wrench in it a little bit. 
Enchanted was turned into a book in the movie. <laughs> sure. Oh, it's okay. true. It's true. And The Queen of the Damned is based on a book. <laughs> <laughs> Man, good point. Uh, Maggie worked with a great villain for all of our choices. Yeah. I have to say, in addition to that, Belle reads many books. <laughs> oh shit! Oh shit! <laughs> All the pieces are coming together. I didn't even think of that, dude. And as Maggie, someone who speaks, uh, who who turns inspiration into reality, our body Barb deals with manifestations of mind as reality. And Alan, the spirit from Jumanji, came from a, a game that was brought to life through. Clearly fell magics. Yeah. Yeah. This is pretty good. Uh, we have a, a very big um, supernatural underpinning of the real world theme going through all of our choices. <laughs> I true. gotta say, though, out of all of the books that are involved here, the never ending story is the one that's dangerous to read. It's not going to leave you with just an adventure and you can go back to being yourself again. <laughs> Which is why I think it makes a really good choice. I do, too. I'm making the case for you now. I, you've kind of convinced me, I Hold think. Hold on. <laughs> I think Giselle is a very fun pick, and I'd yeah. love to get Amy Adams in this yeah. thing. Yeah. You are right. The NeverEnding Story is a book where when you read it, it literally starts affecting the world. Yes. Right. Very much like a silver tongue. Yeah. Like, you're, yep. like you've been saying. Mm-hmm. So a dangerous book doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean bad it's powerful it's right. a powerful book yeah could be what we need bastion becomes a god after reading that book. yeah you remember when he tells falcor to kill those bullies <laughs> <laughs> now if we have moonchild as our uh, character we could also have bastion somewhere in the story that's true all right guys well let's put in our votes who is our uniter going to be I think I'm going to have to uh, second the moon child idea. That's just so juicy. I can't resist. And the fact that she comes from a dangerous book. I can't resist that either. It's true. She dwells in the realm of book. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I thought Maharet was a very creative choice. Cool. I like it. Cool. I, yeah, I, I do. I think so, too. Viable. But Giselle blew me away. She has devastating power. Really cool choice. It's really close, but I think I'm also going to give it to Moonchild. Moonchild just thematically as a unifier against Meggie is just yeah. so flawless. It just I makes know. sense to me. She's the only one that can really like go against her for the power level. And Moonchild isn't the kind of character to oppose a villain herself. No. She picks people who are capable of it. Yeah. And that's right. what the unifier is all about. She, she brings together the best. She unites them and she builds up their confidence to complete the heroic task. It's true. In the never-ending story, Atreyu and Bastion, they weren't ready to do it from the beginning, but through the journey that she sends them on, she knew they were capable of it. Yeah. She sees that spark inside people. Yeah. Well, it sounds like Moonchild is our pick, so I'll vote for Giselle, because I thought that was great, but I think we're going to go with Moonchild. Okay. Dude, 
Sounds good. Giselle really blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. It was a very good choice. Thanks. Really unexpected. Thank you. Well, I think a lot of great unexpected choices this year I think so on too. Fantasy Avengers. We all like to think outside the box. It's true. Unexpected, but inevitable. There was no other choice. No other way this could have gone. This is the perfect <laughs> She sees inside of all of us. Because she does speak to us directly at the end of the movie. Oh, that's, that's true. right. She acknowledges us. She acknowledges the viewers of the movie. She oh, says, you'd so better powerful. fucking pick me. I swear. <laughs> I'll come out of this I shit. will let the nothing take over if you don't pick me for Fantasy Avengers Year 2. In the movie, she says to Bastion... Or to Atreyu, that there's a human child following his every exploits, just as there are people following his. Oh, so good. So good. Oh, I got goosebumps a little bit just hearing it again. It's great. Really good. So good. All right, guys. Well, I think it's time to do our movie pitch. Now that we've got all of our characters cast. All right, so it's time to pitch our movie. Chelsea, you have given us our villain, so you're going to set the scene for us. Okay, so I think for Maggie, the road to darkness is paved with good intentions. Makes sense. Fits the character. So this has had some time pass for her. She was an older teenager in Inkheart. It's been 10 years. Right. Maybe up to 15, you know. She's had some things happen to her in life. She's gone to college. She's done her best to forget about her powers. So she's she went a while without trying to use them. She tried to live a normal life. And this was partially Mo talking to her. And Oh and, man, do we get Brendan Fraser in the movie? Yeah. Oh. We've already made box office Don't gold. get too excited yet. Oh, no. Because you haven't heard my full idea yet. Oh, shit. So we, they can be in the beginning, sure. All right, maybe I'm playing my hand a little bit. But he and Teresa, you kind of you could have some flashbacks of them kind of like counseling her not to use her powers because she could miss out on a lot of what is meaningful in life. Mo should know. There are healthy struggles you can have in life that add meaning. And this will make it so that it's easier for her to connect to others and make meaningful friendships. So she goes to college. She she gets her degree in English literature. Naturally. Of course. She becomes a professor. Cool. She... In her... The most vengeful of all careers. Off time, <laughs> she tracks down and sources rare books and is a collector. Oh, very nice. Awesome. Like so she's got grandma. a huge collection. Yeah. Or her aunt, great, great aunt. aunt. That's the one. <laughs> like her relative. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then tragedy strikes. Oh, no. Her father, Mo, and Mother Teresa are traveling... To find a rare copy of A Thousand and One Arabian Nights for her that is hand illustrated. It's hundreds of years old. And she found out about this tome. It's on the black market. She can't leave. She's teaching. 
they offer to go get it for her. Their plane crashes and they they die. Classic way to lose parents in fiction. Yes. Right? We got to build upon the great ideas of the past. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like a hero origin story to me, Chelsea. All the best villain origin stories do, Jamie. True. True. I want her to be a sympathetic villain, kind of like Maxwell Lord. I buy it. Yeah. That is more powerful. Strong agree. We have a dramatic five-year jump. Like another Avengers movie. (laughs) She is a fucking mess. She cannot deal with the loss of these loved ones. They were the most important people in her life for the first 15 years of her life. She didn't really make friends. They were looking for her mother, Teresa, ever since she was lost. And then she loses her again. So Mo was really her only companion. And he was her father. And as she got these radical life-changing abilities, they were her only support group, the only people who understood her. Right. She can't talk about it to anybody else. She'll seem like she's she's worried about coming off as insane. For good reason. I can read books into reality. She yeah. does... Doesn't sound great when you say it out loud. <laughs> no. She does have one friend that she confides in. Okay. Bastion. Oh, shit. That's really good. They met in college. There we go. The age gap is going to be... No, so it would have to be like... Bastion would be like a professor. A tenured professor. An English professor. Yeah. At her college. Yeah. So he was one of her mentors. Yes. Okay. Somebody she looks up to. Somebody she respects. And he's experience with the supernatural and reading dangerous books. Exactly. Somebody who will be sympathetic if it gets out what she can do. So after the loss of her parents, he's a natural advisor to her and... Somebody that she can go to for emotional support. It could be interesting. If one of the reasons they differ in viewpoint is Bastion at the end of Neverending Story became a god in his own right as well. Having a grain of Fantasia that he could use to make the world into whatever he wanted. Part of that progression of character could be... He was able to see the beauty in the world, and he passed the power along to the next generation, where he relinquishes it. So after a little bit of time of vengefully hunting down his abusers, (laughs) he does learn a good moral lesson. Yeah. So he's kind of already gone through his own redemption arc. He's also an older character. You know, never-ending story was from the 80s. Yeah. Inkart, 2000s, 2010s. So there's, you know... He, he's got a more lived life experience. Mm-hmm. He's definitely better for this mentor role at this point. Yeah. And so Makey's power has atrophied a little bit because she hasn't used it for 15 years. So. Maybe she's dabbled. Maybe we'll see little things where she just talks a little something into reality. Oh, she starts using it for more and more petty stuff. Yes, more selfishness. Yeah. To get people off of her back because her life is unraveling. She's not paying attention to the things she should be like for work and managing her home life and her bills and stuff. She starts just like 
writing things into reality to make her problems go away. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, to a degree, escapism as well. Right. Things that will just take her mind off of it, you know? Yeah. Since she doesn't have anyone to support her, she's just ignoring the problem, right? She's just making her own solutions. Yeah. And then she gets the idea to try an experiment. She wonders if she can use her abilities to bring things back from the dead. Yes. This is a classic place for villainy to start. Yes. (laughs) Let's fuck with death. She starts experimenting. Have you ever heard the story of Doth Plagius the Wise? She first starts experimenting with characters that die in books. Ah, very nice. Seeing if she can write them back into the story or into being in our world after they have died in the book. To find a way to cheat death. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Her powers start getting out of control. <laughs> like they do. She starts getting... More and more aggressive and experimental, she starts playing around with people's lives and livelihoods. She can't bring things back to life, but she can end life. And what ends up happening is she's drawing power from the life force of things around her to bring things back to life from the dead. Oh my god. So she's draining the world of life To create false life. And the more complex the thing is that she's trying to revive, the more she siphons off from the life around her. All right. So I think somewhere along this route, Bastion needs to find out what's going on. And then he has to go to the book that he has. The never-ending story. Knowing that Moonchild would be somebody who he can consult. An expert in this field. Yeah. Maybe Maggie is creating voids, nothingness. Oh, that's amazing. But it's not- Unwriting books, unwriting reality. Yeah, and it's not quite like the nothing. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like the void. Right. Because the nothing- It's nothing. It's just devoid. The void is- (laughs) The void is more like the negaverse- a dark mirror of our rea- of various realities. Yeah. It's like an entropy sort of thing, right? Yeah. I'm thinking what Meggie is doing is she is trying to preserve the past, trying to cling to things that are gone from her life in a way that is damaging the future. And that could be dangerous to Fantasia. I mean, Fantasia yeah. is the progression of human souls, right? It's creativity. It's inspiration. Yes. It's and, the source of human imagination. And the dead, you know, they've passed on to wherever they go. As a person in the world, they are they're not in that form anymore. Right. Right? And it's up to the living and the next generations to carry on fantasia, human spirit creativity, the soul. And she is sacrificing our world for the dead. Nice. Wow. It's in direct opposition where Fantasia is life. She is unknowingly working to undo it. She's like the force that is bringing in Ragnarok. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. 
And she does, wow. she's like Jack's saying, she's unaware. She's completely unaware. She's so focused on her work and her drive to bring her parents back to life. So Moonchild starts reaching out to this spark that she can see inside humans. The spark to create and to stand in the up in the face of adversity and stand up for others. To push back against nothingness. Yeah. And the void. And because she is connected to the realm of the imagination, she can speak to people in their dreams. Yes. Perfect. So this is, yeah, now it's time to start bringing the heroes in. Exactly. She knows that this threat is too big. She needs to help Bastion assemble a force with a varied skill set. The qualities of heroism necessary to battle against what could be perceived as an unstoppable threat against reality. Yes. Because Maggie can basically break down the very fabric of reality. So she's kind of like the nothing but for the real world. She's the void. So since this takes place in a modern day, we could say that Alan is just around at this I point think so. in time. Yep. Yes. Same with Barb. Same with Barb. So they're Earthlings. They're Earthlings. They're from our reality. Belle is from a version of our reality because she's from France. Well, Belle could be read out of a book. I think that by makes a silver sense. tongue. Or brought out of a or just brought out of a book by Bastion. And same with Gowan. Yeah, and same with Gowan. That's what I'm thinking. Bastion is a silver tongue? Yeah, I'm saying Moonchild could be like, it's your time to shine again. You gave it up, but here it is. Alternatively, these should be characters that are from universes that Maggie was experimenting on who were brought into our world. So, like, their worlds are disappearing, and they have been brought into our Earth. Mm. Belle and Gowan. You know... That's really interesting, because if Gowan came out of a book and they're fighting to be put back inside, and the concept of why Maggie is bringing people back is because they die, she's trying to see if she can undo the process, they would be fighting for their own fatality. Which is what Dustfinger is basically doing for a chance to... Either go back and face his fate, not unlike Sir Gowan. Exactly. Or to have a chance to rewrite it, not unlike Sir Gowan. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So Moonchild could select these characters from imagination. And I think that Maggie brings them into the world and Moonchild just identifies who best fits this team. Okay. Like, Nick Fury doesn't give anyone powers. He finds people who already have great potential and brings them together. Yeah. I think that's more the role Moonchild is facing. She sees what realities are being undone and what realities are being rewritten and picks the four best heroes to fill this team out. Okay. So, Moonchild points these heroes... Out to Bastion, and together they help assemble the team. Yes. Okay. Bastion is an extension of Moonchild as her emissary in this. Right. 
Well, also, she's speaking directly to Barb and Alan through their dreams. Yes. Right. So they kind of tag team it. And so they just gather Bell and Gowan, two people, the most obvious tag team of all movies. And we can have, yeah, we can have great lines like two already exist in your world, but two must still be brought in or, you know, whatever. Cool fantasy sounding shit. And Bastion can call upon the help of Falcor, the luck dragon, to find the two literary characters. Nice. We can have some scenes of them flying through the worlds together. A now matured Bastion getting, you know, years of the academic process and working in academia has, you know, has left him a bit disenfranchised. But we can see that spark of life coming back into his eyes as he's riding Falcor back through these fantasy worlds. Yes. He turns to Falcor with a knowing smirk on his face. He says, finding two people anywhere in the world, how are we going to pull this off? And Falcor says, with luck. And they both put on sunglasses. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to be lucky. (laughs) That's great, Jack. That's a good moment. It's inevitable. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's real quick go into where our heroes are when they're recruited, come up with a few scenes, and then get to our conclusion. Well, obviously, Barb lives in the town of Coastal America. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, and she works as the director for a community center. Perfect. Perfect. Which helps people with counseling and providing services for people and fun activities. Nice. I think Barb needs to be the most just good to go. Yeah. Just like Bastion's like, I don't know, this is going to be really hard. And he's like, okay, this is going to sound crazy, but what I need you to do is, and she's like, done. And she's got the pouch with Kovaleski, and she's like, I've been waiting for you for Five years. Let's go. Because Moonchild has been talking to her in her dreams. Yes. Very So Barb is just like ready immediately. No hesitation. Yeah. Barb has been tapped into Fantasia her whole life. (laughs) We know it to be true. I think Alan from Jumanji is our more reluctant one. He has a comfortable life. He's raising the children. He's got his partner who he loves he feels like he has purpose that he can't risk his life on an adventure and they're gonna have to show him how if he doesn't help them the world is doomed well they can explain to him how someone has lost their way okay someone who got power as a kid and was thrust into a realm of the supernatural, right? right? Something he can relate to a lot. Yes. And she's lost her path. And a lot of what Alan has dealt with is comforting and being comforted by people who have been through similar experiences. So this would really hit a soft note in him, I think. Okay, very yeah. nice. After he heard what Meggie was going through, he'd probably... We know this character. The first thing he would probably think is like... This person needs a friend. I can reach her. Yeah. That's an Alan to a T right there. Yes. Perfect. Okay. So, Belle 
has actually been in the real world for two years. Wow. Cool. From Maggie's experimentation. Because she's Maggie's been experimenting for five years. So wait, hold on. Let me see if I'm going to preempt what you're going to say. She adapted really well to the regular world. Because yes. she was a woman well ahead of her time. Yes, exactly. Nice. She is an inventor. Very cool. Yes. And... In her off time, she reads books for children at the local library. Beautiful. Awesome. And she's made a life for herself. She got a fake ID. (laughs) (laughs) She adapted very- But, like, she only uses it for nerdy things like getting library cards. Yeah. She adapted very easily to modern technology and has innovated- some devices that people are commonly using. Nice. She's like an app designer. Yeah. That's awesome. It's great. I love so, this. We'll say that Bastion finds her at the local library where she's living. I don't know where. Any France. town USA. Okay. No, it's gotta be France, right? If it's a local library, she can live in an apartment upstairs. Right? That's Very nice. Cool. It's France and everyone speaks French, but she speaks, I mean, she's Emma Watson. Old so French. She just speaks oh, English with an English accent. <laughs> <laughs> I like how both. And, and there's a joke in there, right? Like yeah. about how she has speaks with this English accent. Yeah. And yeah. she's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is just the way I talk. This is what old French sounds like. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> That's good. And I think that she is interested in helping out. Yeah. Maybe a little convincing. Yeah. Only because she's not sure what she can do to help against a supernatural threat like that. But she's, she's kind of dealt with it tangentially on her own, but she's never gone head to head. But they convince her that they need her capabilities to build tech for them very nice mm-hmm. and armor for them to go up against maggie Love they it. they need her help building something that will help block maggie's power also from affecting people also they need somebody who knows all the books that's right she can help figure out what maggie's next move might be that's right that's what i always thought her greatest strength was here she's basically the detective right yeah also her interaction with supernatural threats has been befriending them and falling in love with them. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe she would be one to try to befriend Maggie. Honestly. Oh, that's a great, at least, like, attempt at the end of the movie. Take a look at our whole group, right? Barb is not afraid of the supernatural no. at this point, right? Yeah. She'll face it head on. Hammer on. Hammer on. But she also works with runes and stuff and spirit guides. She's yeah. not opposed to just interacting with this with everything supernatural. Yep. Belle married a monster. Well, uh, he was a human, but she fell in love with a monster and befriended <laughs> a, a, a living toilet. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Canonically. Alan, Jumanji? Well... He mostly just opposed the supernatural, but he has been a cathartic companion to people traumatized by the supernatural yes. and who have had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Something the villain is going through. Sir Gowan, friends with the Green Knight. 
If you say they're friends? not friends, they play games together. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm just saying, he thought the Green Knight was going to kill his ass, and he didn't. That's that's, no, that's but, a good basis for a relationship. No, but that, that <laughs> leads us to our final acquisition of our team. How does Sir Gowan get recruited? So, he's a really interesting choice, because he's going to have... Well, he's going to be the most out of place of the characters who have been summoned here. Right? Yes. But... His character is... the Thor of our group. He's really adaptable. And what I mean by that is, when he's thrown into a situation that doesn't make any sense, he tries to make it work. (laughs) When he sees giants, he says, hey there, (laughs) right? When he sees a knight, he's like, yeah, I'll play your game, right? <laughs> a fey creature. When Barb says something about, uh, I kill giants in the movie, like, Gowan has to have a reaction. because He's like, I was afraid of the giants, but they didn't seem so bad in the end. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. But I'm saying, Gowan, I like to think at the beat, like, he is one of the people we see summoned in the film. Right. right. During the events of this. And Moonchild says, hey, this guy has no direction, right? Right now, he has no investment in this world. He has just been summoned in. Very oh. impressionable. Very impressionable. And you got to make sure you leave an impression on this guy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right? Because Meggie is a relatable character. Yes. And Gowan is someone who stands for morals. And so if he thinks that Maggie is worth standing with, he'll do it, I imagine. So they have to intercept him, right? Okay. And convince him right when he's fresh out the portal, right? (laughs) Fresh out the time stream. Right. Hey, you gotta help us, right? And he's the sort of person to see a bunch of people flying down on a luck dragon and be like, Okay, sure. let's see what you have to say. Yeah, okay. okay. It's, it's not any stranger than this. And he holds up a a a, a, a company insert brand deal cell phone. <laughs> That's nice. how the film makes money, okay? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, we also have to work my henchmen into this movie. Yes, that's right. So I think, I mean, this one kind of writes itself. I think that Maggie is going through these different worlds, finding, you know, a team of villains to put together. She runs, you know, she she teleports herself back to ancient France or England, wherever just visiting uh, was taking place in the past, and, like, finds Hunter there, and he recognizes that she's not from that time period. Right. And he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm also from, you know, he'll say, like, the modern day or whatever. Yes. And it could be when Meggie is looking to pull Belle out of the book. Because it's also medieval France. <laughs> Maybe it's France. We're not sure where Hunter went. <laughs> oh, he went to France. He went to France. All right. Perfect. Yeah. So he could see her while she's off to talk to someone else. He's like, wait a minute. Yeah, he knows. Because Maggie, I don't think she changes her garb. She just goes as is. She's like, I'm so powerful. I don't even put on the conceit of trying to blend in. Yeah. So Hunter sees her in modern clothes and is like, oh my God, it's been 
20 years that I've been stuck here. He is filled with loathing and the desire to do anything he can to get back to his time. He will instantly fall in with her. And those 20 years in medieval France have really taken a toll on him. Like they would on anyone. But Maggie's powers have gotten to the point where she can rewrite him back into the world partially healed and turned a little younger. She can she can partially give him some of his youth and vigor back. She would feel sympathetic to him right out the gate. Her mom was written into a book. Her mom was written into the wrong place in the wrong time. This guy comes up and says, I've been trapped. I've been enslaved. Like your mom was a slave. Please help me. Well, he wouldn't say that part, but that's what she would feel, right? Sure. Yeah. And so he would pro, and he's also been 20 years in a subservient role dealing with medieval lords. The way he approaches her is probably modified to somewhat pledging servitude. Sure. Right. Please like, help me get back. I will, back. I will help you with what you need. But of course, he's conniving and also like plans to try to take her power at some point. Definitely. Because he's not a loyal servant. No, No. but through this, he becomes her henchman, and she agrees to help him out of a good place, a good heart, (laughs) right? She sees herself as the hero, the good guy. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. All right, let's just get some key scenes here, and then figure out our wrap-up. I think that we have a scene that's almost like a heist scene, where- Us coming up with a heist scene? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Where Belle has show, like calls everybody in, she shows them, like she's pinpointed where Maggie is going to go to next. She knows the next book that Maggie's going to read. And Maggie's powers are somewhat diminished while she's in a book. Okay, very nice. nice. So it's safer for them to confront her in a book. Very cool. So they have to time it well. Maggie in the real world, is unto a god. Yes. Obviously. It would be difficult for them to even approach her. She could just write them out of reality. When she's in a book, she has, still has some of her silver tongue powers, but she does have to kind of follow the rules set aside in the world of the book. Very nice. <laughs> you know what could just be so goofy? If at the beginning of the movie... She, Maggie sees in Bastion's office the never-ending story under some newspaper, and she moves it aside and goes, what is that? And he just goes, oh, that, uh, that book? I wouldn't read that one, Maggie, especially with your power. That book is dangerous. Are you, <laughs> oh, are no. you thinking what I'm thinking? Maybe I am. That Maggie goes back to his office, steals the never-ending story... And fucking goes inside. I think it would be cool if that was the book they confronted her in. Yeah, I think I that's... I think so, too. Especially with Moonchild being our Nick Fury. Yeah. Yes. And it, Moonchild could totally have seen this coming, too. Yeah. She kind of has a danger sense for when things are going to happen to Fantasia, so she can kind of sense that Maggie will eventually be coming. Very nice. That's why she assembles the team. She could show Maggie from the top of the ivory tower, right? The way that Fantasia, the reflection of hum- the human soul, 
is being damaged by what she's doing. Oh, very nice. That could be like the climax where she goes there and Moonchild is like, take a look at Fantasia. This is what's happening as you kill the present for the past. Oh, yes, because Fantasia would be changing as humans are being written out. Right. Yeah. Oh, shit. Because Fantasia is also connected to all those fantasy worlds. Yeah. It, it is. Ooh, very nice. It's like the heart of all those fantasy worlds. And when the main cast shows up chasing her into the book, they make it to the top of the tower. She Moonchild is like, the goal was never to, like, fight you. Yes. The goal was to get you here. Right? Oh, 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 this is so good. All right. Oh, this is just like the never-ending story. Our and final confrontation. All the people we chose are people who have really gone through the trials of finding themselves and dealing with supernatural powers. Like we've been saying, they are the perfect people to relate to Maggie. Yes. Yeah. The final battle is not a battle of sword and strength. It's a battle of character and... The will. The will and good, sound friendship. And in this place of Fantasia, Meggie can see the stories of the people around her playing out. And so she can really see that they have gone through the same journey together. Yes. She sees the stories they've been through. I think she's resisting it and trying to do harm to the party. And lashing out out of a place of hurt yeah, and trauma, the Empress would be shielding them mm. with her magical ability because this is where she's the strongest. Right. And then she gets Maggie to turn around and look at her own reflection of her soul and what she's doing is doing to her soul. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Because the Empress is... All of us, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, Maggie, when Maggie looks at her, she could see directly how she is hurting. Right. Reflected physically on the Empress. Yeah. And she could see that she's being turned into like a monster. Yeah. And it's her, it's just the Empress's own power that's actually holding her identity and her own identity in place for as long as she can. Mm Mm-hmm. I love it. I love that this is a final confrontation that is not violence, but is showing the hurt that has gone into all of these characters and how they've coped with it. And the final lesson is how Maggie can accept what has happened and move on from this fantastical reality she's created around her. Not unlike Barb had to do in I Kill Giants. I think all of the characters show sympathy and tell talk to Maggie after this point when she's like doubting her own mission. They like talk to her about what they've gone through and how they got through it and how they're willing to help her. Right. Yeah. And I think there could be a really heartbreaking moment when she sees what she's doing to the pure essence of imagination as the Empress. And she could be mourning that and she could cry out in pain right from seeing what she's done oh i love it mm-hmm. well that's a great conclusion i think we've probably gotten all the stuff that we need to get for this uh brief clip of what our fantasy movie would look like i think that we should have an epilogue where 
we show Maggie befriending the Fantasy Avengers. Very nice. And they kind of are helping her undo the damage she's done. Right. It's important for her to see that Mo and Teresa are gone, right? All of the people in front of her get what she's going through. Yes. Yeah. And they've moved past it, grown from it, and are working together now. Yes, right? I love it. And they've come together specifically for Meggie. The The whole thing revolves around everyone is trying to help Meggie. Right. right. Yeah. And she sees that. And she sees not Mo and Teresa, but that love and support she got from them in the people in front of her. I love it. And so this could be a message about how our friends and loved ones can help us work through our traumas and losses and kind of help us fight against an urge to lash out in anger at the world. Mm-hmm. And of course, before the final confrontation that ends peacefully, we do have to have some scenes of the Avengers fighting off the monsters that Maggie has left behind in her wake. Of course, and some awesome, like, magical beams and stuff like that. Yeah, we gotta get Kovaleski smashing some giants and everything. Of course, a manifestation of her trauma that the fantasy Avengers have to fight via their teamwork and friendship. Maggie lands the final blow. It becomes a light version where the trauma (laughs) becomes something healing and then gets absorbed into Maggie. Ooh. Very nice. I like that. Okay. There we go. It's just obvious. (laughs) Yeah, this this writes itself. All right, so... I think I have the perfect title for our script. Okay. Because our first movie was Masters of the Multiverse, of course. Yes. This will obviously be Masters of the Multiverse 2, colon, rewriting reality. Ooh. Heck yeah. I like that. That's good. So I'll flip the table here. (laughs) I think we might have outdone ourselves from last year, even. I think so, too. I think we have a much clearer message this time. <laughs> Possibly. Which is pretty good. And Hey, we, the message last year was fantasy fucking rules. We had a lot of fun with our movie pitch last year, but I think this year it's actually more of a cohesive story that could actually happen. <laughs> Well, after two years of assessing the scenes, themes, and other things... <laughs> I feel like we sort of hit one of the main core themes of fantasy. And it was really interesting because we had some strange picks for the fantasy Avengers this year. We did. And a strange pool of movies to pick from when it came to assembling this. So it was really interesting seeing the narrative that could be applied to really any story in a funny way. And seeing how characters from all sorts of media can symbolize the same common goals. Yeah. The nice. same feelings. Well said, Jack. And yeah. I, I think we've kind of worked into that, you know, well-known truism that people love it when you mash a bunch of stuff together into one thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a mashup fun. Well, on that note, we'd like to thank you for joining us here on our two-year anniversary of Swords and Satire. Woo! <laughs> If you had a good time listening to our Fantasy Avengers, maybe consider following us on social media so that you can keep up with all the cool stuff that we're doing here on the show. You can follow us at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out our memes. See what movies we're doing. 
and just stay in touch with us. And like we mentioned, if you like this kind of thing and movie pitches in general, consider joining our patron community on patreon.com slash swords and satire. Check out the tiers we have and we have exclusive content for each tier like rewriting history episodes and you can vote on the movies we watch each month. It's true. And if you don't have a few extra bucks to send over to your favorite podcasters, feel free to tell your friends and family about the podcast so you can watch the movies together and hear our interesting, hopefully, takes about the movies and come up with your own set of Fantasy Avengers together. It's more fun with friends. Yeah, tell us why we were wrong. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, until next time, Hail Hail Crom. Crom!